Have you ever celebrated someone's birthday at a restaurant before? You know, and, and if you've celebrate, gone off and celebrated someone's birthday, um, these days I get invited to 50ths. I used to get invited to 21st, but these days it's not 21st anymore, it's 50th. <laughs> so, so, and this is what happens, you, you get invited. What, what do you do when you get to a restaurant, right? Everyone pays their own way. At the end of the, of, uh, of the meal, you kind of head on out and you go to the counter and you go, oh yeah, I ordered this meal, I ordered this drink, and you pay for it, right? Have you ever been the last person to pay? Have you ever been there and you kind of rock up? To pay your bill, you know exactly what you bought. You kind of budgeted it, maybe. You're right, you may be on a tight budget. And you get there and you realize that someone forgot to pay for a drink or maybe two or maybe some sides or maybe an entire meal, right? And now you're left with the entire bill, with the bill that's left over. And you're like, oh my goodness, I did not plan for this. And you find yourself in a mess not of your own making. You, you've, has that ever happened to you before? So now the next time you go out and celebrate someone's birthday, you're not the last one to pay. You make sure you're right up there, you're paying yours, right? Or maybe you're a little bit more generous than I am, okay? Um, so if you're looking for a subtitle for today's message, it is do the right thing. Do the right thing, right? But here's the thing. Why do bad things happen to good people, Right? Have you ever found yourself in a mess of not your own doing? And now you're a solo parent. Not of yourself, but it's just you're now a solo parent, or maybe you're paying child support. And it's not of your own doing, and you find yourself in this mess, or you find yourself because of someone's dumb decision within your family, now you suffer the consequences of it. Have you ever been there before? Well, now you have to pick up those pieces. You have to pay the bill. You're in debt. You have to carry it alone because of someone else's dumb decisions. And now you have to pay the price. I mean, how do we deal with that? How do you deal with that? Right? And it's not like, oh, well, it'll be different tomorrow because it's still the same. And, And here's the thing. It's very easy for us to become bitter very easy for us to, be, to become angry, and if we don't deal with it, it will follow you around for the rest of your life, or follow you into the next relationship, and into the next relationship, and into the next relationship, unless it is dealt with. This is why I love the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel deals with this very issue, and I love the book of Daniel, and so today we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 9. I wanted to surprise my wife because at the end of last year, she said, you've been in the book of Daniel for a long time. No, I'm done. I'm done with Daniel. Finished. Anyway, Daniel chapter 9, we're going to be jumping in there. And, and what you'll find in the book of Daniel is the most beautiful prayer of confession that you'll find um, in the Bible. The most beautiful prayer of confession is found in Daniel chapter 9. Now, right up to this point in Daniel chapter 9, we, we find that Daniel had been in captivity for almost 70 years. Right? And it's of no fault of his own. Right? He's not in Babylon because he chose to be in Babylon. What had happened 70 years earlier, that Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem, taken the people off to a far off land, to a different way of living. Right? And here's Daniel sitting in captivity for 70 years, not of his own doing. Let's get into Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. <clears throat> In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. 
in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from scriptures according to the word of the, of the Lord. And here, when you see the word Lord, notice it's, the, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? And if you're familiar with our messages, you would see that this is the, our English, translate, uh, English translators giving us a little clue that, the, that this is actually the Lord's personal name, Yahweh. Yahweh. This is what it is. It's Yahweh, right? Hey, wait, here's another little fun fact for you. This is the first time that God's personal name appears in the book of Daniel. Didn't appear in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, or the next chapter, or the next chapter, but not until here is, the, is where God's personal name appears in the Bible. So according to the word of Yahweh given to Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So here's Daniel, he's reading Jeremiah, and, he's, and he kind of, wait a minute, 70 years? I've been here in, in Babylon for nearly 70 years. It goes on verse 3, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and in petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. So Daniel was a teenager when he was taken into captivity. Now he's an old man, right? Why is Daniel sitting in Babylon? Yes, the Babylonians had captured them, but also when we read the Old Testament, we see time and time again that the prophets will come and warn Israel, turn from your wicked ways. And when you begin to read, you, you see that, that they began this perpetual cycle of sin within Israel. And they weren't dealing with it. The, they began worshiping other idols or sacrificing their children to these other gods, these, these false gods. And, and the prophets will come and say, say um, Israel, turn from your wicked ways or, or, or you will suffer the consequence or, or that you'll be taken away. And that's exactly what happened. They didn't turn from their wicked ways. And now they fi Daniel finds himself in captivity because of a generation that came before him. And it'll be really easy for Daniel to start to feel a little bitter, right? Wouldn't you feel a little bit bitter that I'm now in captivity because of, 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 of some dumb decision my family members made and now I, I'm the one that's in captivity. I'm the one that's been sitting here. I'm the one, and if we continue down this perpetual cycle of I, it's happened to me, it's because of what's happened to me, and then you can become bitter and the seed of bitterness is dangerous and deadly and will destroy the relationships around you. So it would be easy for Daniel to foster this righteous martyr mentality or this victim mentality. It would be easy for Daniel to look at the dominant culture around him, to look at the Babylonians and say, well, to how to all of you guys, you guys are so far away from God. I'm, I'm more righteous. I'm living in the way that I should be. It's easy for him to begin to see himself as this, as somehow morally more superior to them and to begin to think, that he is the only voice of truth. And we've got to be careful that this doesn't happen to us, right? When we're in our environment here in little old New Zealand, Aotearoa, and we're looking around and we see things and go, well, hey, you guys, if, oh, look at you, you guys are wicked, you guys are evil, you guys can go to hell. And, and, and then we've got to be careful that we don't all of a sudden begin, we uplift us ourselves as if we become the only voice of truth, as if we're the only ones that hear from God. Oh, well, you obviously aren't listening from God. I am. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we don't find ourselves thinking we're a little bit more superior to everyone else. Here's the thing. When we foster these kind of attitudes and these mindset, we tend to communicate to 
the world around us with a very strong tone that I'm more superior, that I'm more morally or spiritually superior than you, and I hear from God, and, and I'm right, you're wrong, you can go to hell. And, and, and instead of reaching people for Jesus, we end up pushing them away, and we end up distancing ourselves, making it an us and them kind of thing. Here's us and there's them, right? And we distance ourselves from it rather than taking the message of Jesus. The Lord saves Yeshua. What we begin to see from Daniel's prayer is the exact opposite of this kind of mindset. In fact, his prayer gets us into the spiritual heart of what it means to try to be faithful to God when we're living in a society, in a world that is so foreign to the Word of God, in a world of compromise. This is the heartbeat of Daniel's prayer. How do we do this? How do we, how do we live in such a way where, where we don't become feel like I'm more superior to them and, and we distance ourselves and how, how do we do that? And this is what the book, this is what Daniel's prayer is all about, about how not to distance ourselves from our culture around us. Let's get into his prayer. Verse four, I prayed to Yahweh, my Elohim. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed. And you, you can easily imagine that Daniel will say, well, it's been 70 years, time for me to go home, but because of my rotten, stinking ancestors, here I am, right? <laughs> but actually what he prays is very surprising. In fact, what he prays is very powerful and profound. Let's get into his prayer. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. And, and you're like, wait a minute. If you've been reading Daniel from Daniel chapter one up to, to, to this point, you're like, wait a minute. What did Daniel do? What? In fact, when you read the story of Daniel, Daniel is the most faithful person that you will find in the Old Testament. You won't find anyone more faithful than Daniel. Here's the thing, the heartbeat of this prayer is Daniel's view of God's character. That's the heartbeat of his prayer, is Daniel's view of God's character. And it's this view that shapes his own character which is why Daniel does not view himself as this victim martyr and go off and have some pity party. Oh, woe is me. This is why Daniel doesn't do it. This is why he doesn't step across that line. Here's the thing. As we go along this prayer, you'll see one main thing that he is emphasizing about God's character. In fact, he, he repeats it four times. He repeats it four times. And this is it. That God is righteous, that God is righteous. And in fact, I've highlighted the four times he says it in his prayer, but I do encourage you, after this message, go back and read his entire prayer. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Just read on it and think on it and pray on it and meditate and chew on it and begin to recognize the main themes of Daniel's prayer and see these words righteous, righteousness just pop out at you and begin to feel and hear the heartbeat of God 
within this prayer. So here are the four times. I'll just put it up there. Here it is on the screen. Here it is, the four times on your screens. Right now, here it is, the four times. Now, let's, let's, let's begin to get, go through the, his prayer. He says, Lord, you are righteous. But this day, we are covered with shame. Because we're the ones in the wrong. We're the ones who left you and failed to be faithful to you. Now, because of that, verse 14, Yahweh did not hesitate to bring disaster on us. For the Lord our God is righteous. Did you see that? The reason why God allowed Jerusalem to be conquered is because God was righteous, right? Because of their shame and their wickedness. God is righteous. But later on in the prayer, look at what Daniel does. Look, 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 look what he says. He says in verse 16 to 19, Lord, in keeping with your righteous actions, these consequences that we have to, we, we, here we are in Babylon now. In keeping with all your righteous actions, turn away from your anger and your wrath. Not because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Shema. Lord, forgive. And it's because of Daniel's, it's because of God's righteousness is why Daniel doesn't view himself as, as this victim martyr. But it's because of what, of what, God, what Daniel sees about God's character, that God's righteousness, it, hum, it actually humbles Daniel. When he begins to understand and he understands God's righteousness, it humbles him. It humbles him. Because who has sinned? Who has sinned according to Daniel's prayer? He says, we, he includes himself. So, and you're like, wait a minute, you didn't do any of that. You didn't sacrifice your children in Jerusalem to these false gods. You didn't go after other idols. You, didn't, uh, you, you weren't dishonest in Jerusalem. That, that wasn't you, Daniel. But yet he includes himself because he understands God's righteousness. And that is what humbles him. It humbles him. Here's the thing. The Hebrew word for righteous is the word tzedek. Sedek, T-S, Sedek. This is the Hebrew word for righteous. And now the only time we hear the word righteous, and normally the only people that use that word are religious people. Because we don't use the word righteous in our everyday conversations. Hey, you should go along to this restaurant because they're righteous. Hey, you should go to this, you should go, you know, hang out with this person because they're right. We don't use this word, they're righteous. Uh, 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 mainly religious people and California surfers use the word righteous. Righteous dude. Anyway, that's just. Uh... But what does this word righteous? What does it actually mean? And and here's the thing: for most of us, we think that the word righteous is, is a morally good person. Being righteous is a morally good person. But at the core, it's a word that describes someone's character, not in and of themselves. It describes someone's character that you demonstrated by how they treat other people within their relationships. It's a relationship word. It's a relationship word. See, you can be a good person by yourself, but you cannot be a righteous person by yourself. Did you get that? You can be a good person by yourself, but you cannot be a righteous person by yourself. The only way that you know a person is righteous is by their is 
by how they treat people. Because righteousness is a standard of right relationship. Righteousness is a standard of right relationship. To do right by someone. To do right by, we, we instinctively know what, when someone says, you need to do right by them. You need to do right by her. You need to be do right by him. You need to do right by your parents. We instinctively know what that means. It's a relationship word. You can be a good person on your own, but you cannot be righteous on your own because it's demonstrated in your relationships with those around you. For example, if you're a guy and you're married and you've got kids, right? how are you righteous in that relationship? And how you're righteous in that, in that relationship is by your behavior. So what kind of behaviors show that you're righteous, that you're loving, that you're involved, right? You're faithful, you're loyal. And that shows you're doing right by your wife and you're doing right by your kids, right? And there's, there's another way that this word siddik, this word righteousness, and how it's used. Let's, let's imagine someone robbed your house. You ever had someone break into your house before? I've had. It's a horrible feeling. You feel violated, honestly. Say someone robbed your house and they've caught the culprit and now you're sitting in court waiting to hear the sentencing by the judge. And the judge says to the, this culprit, he says, oh, well, you probably had a bad day. Oh, dear criminal. I'll tell you what, just pay the court fees and, and off you go, right? Is that sedic? Is that, is that being righteous? Has the judge done right by you? No. He hasn't done right by you. He hasn't done right by the community. He hasn't done right by the law. But by, by, by letting this guy go without, in, without any accountability, without any consequences, that's not being sedic. That's not being righteous. He hasn't done right by you. Right? The judge is righteous. The judge does right by you and the law and the community. Right? He does right by you when... when when he brings serious consequences on evil and destructive behavior. That is the judge doing right by you, the victim, right, right by the community and right by the law. And that's sedic. And this is, this is why God brings judgment on, 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 on Jerusalem. That's why God is, is righteous. That's why Daniel can say, Jerusalem was destroyed because God is Righteous. See, it actually wouldn't be a good thing on God's part if, if, if God just let Jerusalem head down a path of evil without any accountability, because then God wouldn't be righteous. He wouldn't be, he wouldn't be doing right by them, right? But here's the thing. It's the last use of this word righteousness that is very powerful and very profound, and it's back in verse 16 to 19 again. Let's go back in there, and I love this. It's powerful. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous actions, turn away from your anger and your wrath, not because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, Shema. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Do you see that? God's righteousness compels him to bring justice. But God's righteousness also apparently compels God to forgive. And the way the story of the Bible works is that God brings consequences on human evil. But he always, 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 always matches that in tandem with a promise of restoration. Come on, when you read the biblical story, the biblical narrative, 
God brings consequences on human evil, but he always, 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 always matches in, in, in tandem with a promise of restoration. And that's beautiful, and that's the story of the Bible. So what does this mean for, for me? What does this mean for us? It means that if my kids are fighting and disrespecting each other, I cannot say that I am righteous if I sit back and do nothing. I'm not doing right by them. Why? Because they're going to grow up and think it's, that's perfectly a fine way to treat people. So as a parent, I have to create a safe environment where they experience consequences for their destructive behavior. That is me being righteous. That is me being, doing right by them. That is me bringing justice, making them accountable for their actions. But however, however, is my only role as a parent to bring down the hammer of justice? Is that my only role? No, it's certainly not. Because what I also need to do is to help to teach them that when they've broken a relationship, yes, there's consequences, but there is always a way forward through the healing of that relationship. There's always a way forward. Teaching them to forgive, teaching them to confess to one another, teaching them to ask for forgiveness. That is sadic. That is me being righteous, doing right by them. See, because no matter what, God always does right by his relationships. That's why God is righteous. How do you know if someone has truly grasped God's righteousness? How do you know? How can you tell if someone's truly grasped God's righteousness? You know how you can tell? They are humble. They are humble. They don't view themselves morally or spiritually better than anyone else or any other church or any other group. Or, you know, you're not, I'm hearing from God, you're not. They don't view themselves like that. Even though they're trying, they're trying their darnest to faithfully do what God is talking to them, what the Word of God is saying, and they're trying their best, but they never, never, never point the finger or accuse, they never cast the blame or make themselves look better than the so-called infidel. But when someone truly grasps God's righteousness, it humbles us, and it humbled Daniel. Even though he found himself in a mess not created of his own, it humbled him. He didn't point the finger. He said, God, you're righteous. And I know when you're righteous, attached, attached to consequences is your blessing. It's your restoration. Come on, there's restoration coming. Whatever, wherever you find yourself right now, restoration is coming. Why? Because God is righteous. Not because I'm righteous, but because he is righteous. Because when we do right by God, we do right by people. When we do right by God, we do right by people. And likewise, when we do right by people, we do right by God. Not because we are righteous, but because He is righteous. A true grasp of God's character humbles God's people. Now, if the God of the Bible only ever roasted us when, when we did horrible things, then God would not be righteous. Did you get that? And some people's view of the Bible, and some people's view of God is He's a God waiting for you to make a mistake, waiting for you to trip up. And that is not the, that's not what the biblical narrative says. Because if, if your view of God is, God is that He's waiting for you to trip up so He can punish you, well, then God will not be righteous. But because God made a promise that no matter 
what happens, no matter what happens in your life, not, no matter what happens around us, COVID, vaccine, whatever, no matter what happens, that God is going to bless, God is going to restore, and God is going to heal His world. And He did. Because He saw you in your mess. He saw you in your distress, in your pain, and so He steps into His creation. He binded Himself in flesh and in the fullness of Jesus. He died for your sins. Now, I didn't didn't nail Jesus to the cross. I didn't nail Jesus to the cross. But if I truly grasp God's righteousness, like Daniel certainly did, that, that when I come to the cross, I recognize that I'm responsible too. That I'm responsible for those nails as well. For we have sinned. We are broken human beings. And the only hope we have is God's righteousness. That He will name what's wrong with us. That He will deal with our evil in a way that doesn't destroy us, but saves us. See, what happened on the cross is that that God names and He deals with our evil and He shoulders it Himself. He absorbs it into Himself so that He can give us a gift, a gift of life, a gift of forgiveness, a gift of mercy. This is the good news of the cross. That when we begin to see the tragedy unfolding in Burma, in Myanmar, houses being burnt down, people being killed, that we can pray for Myanmar, for Burma. When we see the tragedy unfolding in Tonga, that we can pray for Tonga. But at the same time, believing that there is good news for our world. Not because we are righteous, and it's not because somehow I'm better, but because God is righteous, which means He is just and He is committed to restoring and healing His world. See, when we do right by God, we do right by people. And likewise, when we do right by people, we do right by God, not because we are righteous, but because He is righteous. Come on, let us pray.